This episode of Channel Mind News is for information only. Please do your own research before making any investment decision or alternatively seek advice from a registered financial advisor. Well, the takeover of Wheeling and Dealing news continues for the biggest copper deposits in the world. Sol Gold has attracted a new Chinese investor, which is no doubt going to aggravate Newcrest and BHP. And Rio Tinto have apparently finally taken over Turquoise Hill. Matty Michael here for today's episode of Channel Mine News, 13th of December. Now, before I get into everything, oh, can I please ask everyone, stop listening right now, go to Twitter, follow at Life of Mind Potty, just type in Life of Mind Podcast. Give us a follow on LinkedIn as well, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. If I can, uh, long and the short, everyone wants to know how many bloody followers I've got when I'm trying to get money for marketing. So if you can all lift that for me, it would be very much appreciated. YouTube as well, go follow, subscribe to that. But yeah, Twitter, it's all happening on Twitter. So please, I'd really appreciate it. Let's get into the macro stuff before we get into a bit on the uh, copper market. ASX 200 sitting at that 72.15 up 35 points now. US CPI inflation data comes out this Wednesday and we've also got the three key rate decisions for the US Fed, ECB and Bank of England. So keep a watch out for that Wednesday, Thursday. Aussie dollar sitting flat at 67.8 US cents. Gold flat as well, 1,782 an ounce. Iron ore 110 bucks a tonne. Copper down 1.4% to 83.71 or $3.81 a pound. Nickel also down 1.8% as well, 29306 bucks a tonne. Crude oil up a couple of bucks. WTI is sitting at $73.40. And Brent crude up 2.6% to $78.10. Coal sitting at $401 bucks US a tonne. And Bitcoin, 17183 now, for a bit of macro market prediction. Now, of course, no one bloody knows exactly where it's going to go. You never know what's going to happen, but you can predict. Our great friend of the show, Tim Weir from Precision Funds Management, who will be on the show tomorrow, has forwarded me onto the Richard Coppo Coppelson Daily Market Report. And this Coppo, who's apparently a bit of a guru, is predicting that the bull market could arrive as early as March next year, but the worst of the bear market could still be to come. Now, the US market is pricing in a... Another two 50 basis point interest rate hikes for December and February. December's will be announced 6 a.m. this Thursday. And he believes that the market will bottom out and the Fed may well pivot its policy settings with a first rate cut, possibly into September, December 2023 timeframe. Now, history says in the last 30 years, the average time to a rate cut from the start of the rate hiking cycle has been nine months. And the first rate increase was April this year. So nine months from there takes us to January roundabout. So as quoted by Tim Weir, history never repeats, but it often rhymes. I really like that one, Weary. Thanks, mate. So that's a bit of the macro outlook. Now let's get on to copper. I'll give you a bit of backstory here. So back in 2008 around the GFC, when copper prices slumped, China used their stimulus plans to buy all the copper they could find and store it in this row of warehouses in Shanghai's free trade zone. And these are known as bonded copper warehouses. And 
Chinese companies and traders then used this physical copper as a bond or a collateral, you'd say, for raising finance. So at the peak in 2011-2012, China's bonded stocks, they held about a million tonnes of copper worth about 10 billion bucks. This month, they've gone from that million tonnes to only 30,000 tonnes. And that's down 300,000 tonnes of copper just this year. And China are becoming more reliant on importing copper. So I know this thematic keeps getting played out that there's going to be this massive demand for copper due to lack of supply, but haven't seen it in the copper price yet. But just keep watching closely because it's uh, predicting that it, it will happen at some point, especially with the lift in demand in the macro scene for China. So... That's something to keep your eye on. Now, on to lithium. Goldman Sachs at it again, claiming that the lithium price is going to go down. They're forecasting massive drops, whereas every time they forecast massive drops, it keeps going up. So lithium hydroxide price at the moment, which is your hard rock. Lithium carbonate is for you, from your brines. Uh, lithium hydroxide, 80700 bucks US a tonne. December 7th, Benchmark Minerals Intelligence. Now, Goldman Sachs are predicting 2023, that 80,000 is going to drop to 58,000 bucks a tonne. And by 2024, it's going to drop to $12,500 a tonne, which is a sixth of what it is now, over a sixth of what it is now. Then you've got Morgan Stanley on the other side, led by Macquarie Research, and they're calling for prices to reach an average of 62,500 a tonne next year and remain steady at 72,500 bucks a tonne until 2026 on a supply deficit. So they're essentially six-fold difference in what they're predicting. So big, big contrast. So there's obviously very difficult to forecast the supply and demand of such a fast-growing EV battery industry. So now for the spodumene prices, because Goldman are predicting in 2025 they're going to be $800 US. So now... Give you a bit of context, it gets probably a bit confusing because you hear Pilbara Minerals, their BMX auction for spodumene because they're only selling that in 5,000 tonne blocks and that is at an inflated price. They sold the last one for $8,500 a tonne for a 6%, 6% spod, but that is not the spot price. So the spodumene spot price is stalled at about $5,500 a tonne. Morgan Stanley are predicting it's going to stay around that until 2026, maybe drop a little bit. Goldman are predicting it's going to divide by six. So who knows? You're two big institutions, two massive, massively different assumptions. So let's get on to some mining news for the day. Back into the little copper thematic we're going on. I'll talk about two big copper projects around the world. First off, Seoul Gold. So they've got the Casa Bell project in Ecuador, big massive porphyry copper gold project now there's a possible bidding war coming up so newcrest and bhp both have 13.5 percent holding of soul gold each and now soul gold have just done a capital raise and china's largest copper miner has now become a 6.3 percent shareholder as well so give you a bit of a, a bit of a timeline october this year soul gold merged with Cornerstone Resources and they to get 100% ownership of Casa Bell. This diluted BHP and Newcrest's shareholding to 13.5% of what it is now on the 7th of November. 
Sol Gold secured 50 million bucks in royalty funding from Osisco Gold Royalties for a 0.6% net smelter return interest for the Castle Bell project. Now, both Newcrest and BHP blasted the deal saying it was a very expensive way to get financing, so they didn't like that at all. On the 10th of November, three days later, Managing Director Daryl Kazubo left the company effective immediately. And just today, yesterday, sorry, they did a $36 million capital raise and their new investor is Jiangxi Copper, a Hong Kong-based investment company, the biggest in China, biggest copper investor in China. And they'll own 6.3% of Seoul Gold's ordinary share capital. So there was talks that Newcrest BHP were looking at a possible merger to fund uh, and develop this project. Now you've got uh, the Chinese interest as well. So here we go. Another sounds very similar to the AVZ debacle that we talked about last week. So I'll give you a bit of context on how big this project is. Estimated average production, 132,000 tonnes of copper and 358,000 ounces of gold a year. MPV of $4.1 billion and IRR of 23.4% at the current spot commodity prices. It's going to be a big block cave mine, initial mineral reserve of 558 million tonne, containing 3.3 million tonnes of copper at 0.58% and 9.4 million ounces of gold at half a gram a tonne. So, and another 30 million ounces of silver. So, 26 year mine life, and there's potential mine life upside in excess of 50 years following the initial life of mine. So, estimated free cash flow of 740 mil a year. So, yep, she's a big, she's a big sucker. So, watch out for that potential little bidding war going on for ownership and development of that project. Now, next one, another, now we're going even bigger now. Rio Tinto finally takes over Turquoise Hill. So this is in concern to the OU Tolgoy copper gold mine in Mongolia. This is massive, this joint. So talk ownership. Rio Tinto had 51% shareholding of Turquoise Hill and Turquoise Hill owns 66% of OU Tolgoy. And the Mongolian state-owned enterprise government owned 34%. So they're finally in the final stages pending court approval. Rio Tinto have finally taken over Turquoise Hill to give Rio Tinto 66% of the OU Tolgoi project. Now, I'll tell you how big this joint is. This is huge. 2020 mineral resource estimate, 3.7 billion tonne at 0.6% copper and 0.3 grams of gold. So 22 million tonne of contained copper, 30-year mine life. Uh, one article said it could go up for 100 years. Internal rate of return of 46%, which is a great return on investment. And that's at long-term copper assumptions of $3 a pound, considering it's at $3.81 a pound today, and we're apparently very short on supply. So there's plenty of plenty of upside for this project. Now, the, there's an open pit reserve of 780 million tonne at 0.44%. So they've been mining that since one article said 2011, one said 2013, around then. Underground reserve is 440 million tonne at 1.5%, 6.7 million tonnes of copper. But I thought this would be a simple one, but there's always some bloody rabbit hole that presents itself. So for that 440 million tonne of underground reserve, 40 million tonne of that reserve is held in a separate joint venture with Entree. Entree. Now, give you a bit of context there. So there's some arbitration proceedings going on. On 26th of May this year, 
Entree announced that it had commenced binding arbitration proceedings to seek declarations and orders for Pacific performance relating to certain provisions of the equity participation and earning agreement against Turquoise Hill. So there's that arbitration going on as well. So I'm not sure what's going to happen with if Rio Tinto take over the arbitration proceedings there. Now that 40 million tonne is for, according to the Entree website, 20% interest in the material extracted 560 metres below elevation, which is the Hugo North extension. So there's the Hugo North, which is the 400 million tonne, and you've got the Hugo North extension, it appears, and then a 30% participating interest in mineralisation above 560 metres elevation. So I'd assume that's stuff above the Hugo North extension. So that's their involvement, and there's arbitration proceedings there. So keep an eye on that. I'll be interested to see what happens there, or if anyone wants to provide a bit more context, give me a buzz and come on for a yarn. So here's the timeline for the Turquoise Hill takeover. Let's get back to that. Went down that bloody rabbit hole. Turquoise Hill takeover. March this year, Rio offered Turquoise Hill $2.7 billion at Canadian 34 bucks a share. These share values will be in Canadian dollars. They turned that down, $2.7 billion, no good. August, Rio then offered Turquoise Hill another $3.1 billion. So at $40 a share, they turned that down as well. September, Rio offers Turquoise Hill $3.3 billion at $43 a share. So it's gone from $2.7 billion to $3.3 billion for the 49%, left over 49% of Turquoise Hill. They initially approved it, but then it was turned down by Sailing Stone Capital, which held 2.2% of Turquoise Hill as a minority shareholder. So Sailing Stone Capital, they wanted $56 a share and they claimed that Rio Tinto holds its interest in Turquoise Hill on the Rio balance sheet at equivalent of Canadian $56 a share. So they were saying it's worth that at a minimum. Then Rio then come out and said that the design and development of OU Tolgoi would be met with significant technical, financial and macroeconomic risks and they'd note the project would require an additional $3.6 billion of capital investment to reach full development and production so they're essentially saying look if you want to stay in you're going to have to contribute to all this capital do you have it no possibly not during the special meeting held on 9th of december this month a few days ago rio tinto was finally granted approval to acquire the remaining 49 percent of turquoise hill by a majority shareholder vote 3.3 billion dollar takeover which was their third offer so to get that across the line they needed a 66.6% shareholder voting approval. So that's two-thirds of the total Turquoise Hill shareholders had to vote in favour. Then they needed also a simple majority of votes made by minority shareholders. So oh, someone correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's 50% of the minority shareholders, not including the major ones, needed to vote in favour. And that, I assume, with... Sailing Stone Capital holding 2.2% of shares. They are classed as a minority shareholder and they needed to vote in favour to get that 50% across the line. So in a statement announcing the approval deal, Turquoise Hill shared that Rio's proposal received 86.6% of shareholder votes and 60.5% of minority shareholder votes. So that's that sorted. Now the final approval of, will be conducted by the Supreme Court of Yukon with a hearing scheduled for 14th of December, which is tomorrow or a couple of days in American time. So nearly over the line. 
keep an eye on that arbitration proceedings. Now, last one of the day, Chalice Mining down 12.5%. They've released an announcement saying that their scoping study will be delayed, but that's right at the bottom of the first page. They obviously put all the good stuff at the start. So they've received new metallurgical test work saying it has the potential to enhance the overall recoveries for the deposit. Now, remember the Gonneville deposit, a couple of hours north of Perth, 350 million tonne at 0.96 grams per tonne 3E, which is palladium, platinum, and gold. Now, it's a massive, massive deposit. They keep finding more. They found more up the road. They've got an updated mineral resource estimate coming out in Q1 2023, and they want to incorporate this new metallurgical work and infill drilling results. And so the scoping study was supposed to be out this month, but they want to revise the timeline for that when the new resource comes out in Q1 2023. So it looks like the shareholders, or probably short-term shareholders, aren't liking the delay of that. So hence it's down 12.5%. Uh, they remain well-funded with 115 million bucks in cash at the end of this September quarter. So looking at the hot copper things, a lot of the long-term holders see that this project is massive and it's not that much of a concern. So there was a Livewire article I noticed where fund managers scored companies based on their prospective future growth in earnings per share, market share, and overall market positioning in the ASX 101 to 200, so the back end of the ASX 200. And top of the list was Chalice Mining, number one. Uh, second was Town Resources. So there you go. So there's a lot of uh, fundies that like the look of the future of Chalice Mining. So there you go. Channel Mines News done for 13th of December. Tomorrow's episode will be done from the headquarters of Precision Funds Management. If you wanted me to ask the boys a question, Message it to me. I'll feed I'll feed it in there for you. Right up. Uru everyone.